Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth, and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Anyway, let's go. No questions. Let's do it. Let's do it. Not ready. Not prepared at all. Let's go. Let's just say none of us here are prepared today for what we're about to receive. receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. Is that where you were going with that? No, it wasn't, but it did sound like that. So let's just, uh, let's just. Starting with a prayer. Here we go. Grace. (laughs) Amen. Um, (laughs) So are you going or shall I? You go. Oh, okay. Okay. Hello and uh, welcome to, you probably guessed where you are by now, but this is the uh, worst girl gang ever. And today, hey, hey, today we are joined by Tawny. You may know her. You may not. For those of you that don't, could you please introduce yourself, my love? Yes. So my name's Tawny. I am on Instagram, you always have to say your Instagram name, don't you? I'm the Mindful Grief Coach, so you guys may know me on there. Um, I'm also, if any of you have done the Pregnancy After Loss course with the Worst Girl Gang Ever, um, you will have heard me on there as I feature on it, don't I? Um, so, yes, that nice relaxing voice that you have in your ears when you're having some scansiety, that's me, basically. So I put a face to the name um, or a face to the voice even. And um, right. so yeah, and uh, yeah, well, sorry. Except this is a podcast, so <laughs> yes, oh, I won't yeah, see your face. It's not going to be recorded. Put a voice to the voice. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're right. Well, it's because I'm looking at myself on the video. A name to the voice. If only you'd prepared me, guys, and told me what a podcast really is. <laughs> like as if I don't know by now, right? <laughs> Come on, Tony. I, to be fair, I did just have a baby six weeks ago, guys. So yeah. to anybody tuning in, that's, yeah. Okay. So that's where I'm at. I'll let you off. <laughs> um, thanks. And you're, um, also, I'm trying to think. you're also a member of the Worst Girl Gang Ever, aren't you? I am. Yes. Yeah. So, and, but also, I'm sorry, there's a delay in my end, but also you are featuring in our book. I am. Yes, also. I forgot about that. <laughs> what, yeah. book? what were you talking about? Oh, we book, mate, we wrote. Did we book. mention that? Have we not no, mentioned we that before now? Okay, it's available, it's available to pre-order. Yeah. Okay, out on fourth of August. Um, but also, we did a, an Insta live with you, didn't we? You did, yeah. So you can look back as well, and then people really can put a face to the name. Yeah. Yes, oh yes, they can. Yeah. Yeah. So if they want to look at your beautiful face, 
It's oh, back on our Insta Live a while ago. Well, I I'll, what where. I'll do is I'll put the link to the Insta Live in the show notes. Good work. Belted. Good thinking. I'm just going to write that down well done. so I don't forget. Yeah. So, well, if you go, if you watch back, you'll see an introduction there. But yes, I am. I'm. I am a member of the Warriors Girl Gang ever. So, my little boy Elvis died in June 2020, um, and he was. Yeah, he was stillborn. It was um, due to an obstetric emergency, which I'm sure we'll go into a little bit later in the recording. Um, but yeah, that's my. That's what brings me to the worst girl gang ever um is my wonderful beautiful amazing boy um who I am forever thankful to for being a part of my life but um but also um yeah I mean you know you guys say it with the name don't you the worst girl gang ever you never you don't want to be in it but it's full of pretty bloody wonderful people isn't it amen sister it sure is oh this is very religious today I know. Get I'm not religious. I must say, I'm, I'm Irish, but yeah, I'm really like I'm not. I, <laughs> but yeah, why not? Amen. So, yeah, cool. <laughs> Anything goes, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> does today. So before you lost, um, beautiful Elvis, did you know about this community? Did you know how strong it was and stuff? Like we don't often talk about this, like the before. So I um, was a hypnobirthing teacher. Um, I still do teach hypnobirthing, just more from a pregnancy after loss um, side of things rather than just, you know, your traditional pregnancy where they haven't lived through a loss. Um, So I had a couple of people that I taught who had had um, miscarriages um, and I had developed sort of a course that was um, a little bit more sensitive to that although at the time I hadn't had any personal experience of loss so although I look back at it now and I still think it was quite it was quite good there was still so much you know missing um Mm. that needed to be in there um and so yeah I I met people that way who who are still you know I'm still in contact with um and were a great support after I went through um my loss with Elvis and then I had I used to do pregnancy wellness retreats as well and um one of the um parents who were well, one of the couples that were on that retreat they um had a still birth as well um so I was um somewhat involved with the community you would say but as you know a supporter um you know I would help people rather than actually having personal experience of it myself and you never think it's gonna happen to you no um definitely not I mean you know I would almost say that my pregnancies um, with Gus and Elvis, I was somewhat not toxic positivity, but you know, I was very into sort of the positive affirmations, which are which are a great help in PAL as well, but more just focused on the fact that everything will be okay, everything will go right, and there's no possibility of things going wrong. That's not gonna happen to you. Mm. Um the percentages are really low, and the, you know, the percentages were um reassuring um back then. And then when you live through it, then even the tiniest percentages become very real. And and you definitely see yourself sitting on that side of, of the line. Um, so, yeah, I knew of people. Um, it's people, as I said, like people who are now I'm still in contact with. And we connect now as bereaved parents rather than me being someone to support them. Yeah. Um, but I do that as well. You know, kind of do it all. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the story of Elvis's birth. 
So um, it's probably good to start in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's how, that's how you get to birth, isn't it? It's kind mm-hmm. of how it goes. Um, so had a really straightforward pregnancy with Elvis. It was beautiful. Um, Gus was, um, I just turned... Just, just about to turn two when we found out we were pregnant with Elvis um so yeah it was a it was just sort of like we were going to have our little perfect sort of family unit like you know the age gaps that I sort of always wanted and um luckily we had no problems with fertility we never have um so there was no issue there with getting pregnant although he was a much wanted baby um it happened very quickly once we started trying um so we were very lucky in that sense and um yeah the nine months of pregnancy just sort of sailed by we um traveled quite a bit we went to Brazil and um had a holiday there uh, which is where my husband's from um which was lovely went for like six weeks so Elvis got to experience loads of things he went snorkeling in my tummy obviously I read something the other day that when you go swimming with your baby in utero basically our human submarine so yeah yeah. cool (laughs) so I was like his human submarine and we went swimming together we um did stand up paddle boarding snorkeling and went on boat trips it was a really beautiful like we had a really gorgeous summer in Brazil but it was winter here we spent Christmas there um and yeah I mean a lot of his pregnancy I sort of really see as those six weeks in Brazil because we weren't working we were just it was just family time and it was a really beautiful time to connect and I think the whole way through my pregnancy with Elvis I you know did yoga almost every morning I was really committed to like um you know when you're in the birth world there's this thing called um like uh optimal fetal positioning which is basically getting the baby into the right position for birth um and uh, because I know that I had big babies, Gus was quite big, Elvis was measuring quite big. Uh, it was really important for me that I kind of was helping him um, in preparation for birth as much as possible. So I was doing yoga like every day and it was a really beautiful way to connect with him. And I was really, really present in that pregnancy. There was no kind of willing it away. I wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to, I can't wait to have the baby. I can't wait to not be pregnant anymore. I just lived every moment of it really um, beautifully and fully present totally Mm. present and um and saw that as his life really you know like I see their life the beginning of their life in pregnancy I don't see it from when they're born I see it almost from like conception or even before that um so yeah it was really really beautiful nothing was there was nothing to worry about everything was fine and then in March 2020 we all know what happened um what was that then oh you know the world fell apart the sky is falling um basically yeah everything just went went to shit basically mm. in my lad's swear um oh, yeah, yeah. Hope so. cool. uh, that out went to bleep. um so yeah it was just so it was my um yeah it was my birthday on the 20th of march and i think that we went and we were sitting we live on the isle of wight and we um uh, brought a little picnic up to a really beautiful viewing point and um, we were listening to the radio and it was when they basically announced that it was a global pandemic and that um, everybody had to go into lockdown I think it was the first stage of lockdown and I just kind of was like oh god what's this gonna you know mean to our birth plan because he was due in May um 27th of May um and 
kind of from that point onwards, every conversation that we had with the maternity services, our birth plan sort of wasn't being mm. supported anymore. You know, uh, resources were being pulled here, there and everywhere. You know, they weren't doing water births, they weren't doing home births, they weren't doing loads of things. So even all the women that I was supporting from a, you know, um, a, a hypnobirthing client perspective, I was kind of trying to give them the most amount of information of what's going on and support them to sort of navigate the changes whilst also going through it myself and yeah. trying to feel positive because I knew how important it was to be positive and um, whilst just feeling like everything was just you know crumbling around us um, yeah. and our birth plan just went you know kind of completely out the window and and that went and it wasn't really supported anymore um, so we had to make a lot of changes last minute, um, which, you know, could have impacted on on what happened with him. Um, I mean, it's it's always it, hindsight's a fine thing, isn't it? You know, you can say, mm-hmm. oh, well, if I was here, or if I did that, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Um, but, you know, the long and short of it is we had a, a wonderful labor. It was really beautiful. Um you know, you know, I said I'm not religious. It was almost quite spiritual in a way. Like I meditate a lot, and so I sort of, um, I was like a little Buddha through that labor. I just, you know, I really got into that whole. You know, every surge is bringing my baby closer to me, and you know, I really felt the power and felt really empowered. Um, yeah. And it was amazing. And um, around the time that we got to transition, um, that was when you know I, the, the pain sort of ramped up um and I was like oh god this is you know I need some gas and air now up to that point I didn't have any um pain relief and was was almost like enjoying it was like euphoric almost um and then had some gas and air and um the contractions went from being really really strong to basically just like plateauing and when I would have one I would like really 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 like push and try to you know get him to come further down and I could feel his head he was there almost there um about to be born um and my husband could see his head and you know everybody's like yeah he's here you know you're always there and I remember my midwife saying Tony you're getting your v-back your v-back because I had a c-section with Gus you're getting your v-back um and I was like really like last minute at the finish line and um yeah and then the contractions just sort of like stopped he stayed down like you'd still see his head but contractions weren't there anymore um which is a sign of uterine rupture um but I guess we just didn't really see it as that at the time because there were no other symptoms you know they say that you might feel pain in your shoulder or um your heart rate might increase or your um temperature will rise those kind of things are certain little signs um but or you might bleed but again he was really low so I was bleeding you just couldn't Couldn't see see it it. because he was kind of like a you know acting like a Mm. pug basically what Um, happened in that moment was there was there well I panic or yeah well so at that point we didn't know so I got out of I was in a birth pool I got out of the birth pool um went to the toilet because you know sometimes you just need to go and like have a wee you know release your bladders a bit and then it will help your bladders I don't have to (laughs) (laughs) Um, release your bladder a bit and then it can help them to 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 come out and just move around a little bit Mm -hmm. just you know sometimes they just need a bit he could have just had a a bit of shoulder dystocia or something so you were feeling okay at this point like I was I was fine yeah and 
Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. There was no, and you know, it, in because I had a C-section with Gus, it was my first vaginal delivery, mm-hmm. and he was obviously quite a big baby. Um, he ended up being ten point five eight. Wow. Massive. Um, and so you know, we kind of knew that. So it, it it does just take a little bit longer. So there wasn't really anything to be worried about. And then when I went to the toilet, um, we had the um Doppler on, and that's when um we noticed the change in his heart rate um and at that point was when the midwife was like okay this is you I I believe this is uterine rupture I'm diagnosing it as uterine rupture so we transferred in to theatre um and uh that, that from that point it was just really like such a blur I think all I was just trying to do was um stay alert so if I had to make any decisions Mm. I was able to and um the kind of registrar consultant that was on at the time he was he was like there's no time to sign any papers um well they tried to do an ultrasound first of all um and they were like waiting for the machine and it hadn't come and I remember saying I was like look I'm in I'm in a I'm in a lot of pain and the midwife was like oh it's it's just a contraction I was like it's not just a contraction I've been having contractions for over a day now I know what they feel like and this is not contraction yeah because this is not stopping um, and obviously in hindsight that was my uterus rupturing so um just anybody that's listening that's had that wants to try for a VBAC has had a previous c-section I know I said about statistics and you know percentages and them being not reassuring when you've been on that end but just so people know it is so rare it's really mm. really really rare for this to happen so just because I've lived this experience doesn't mean that every VBAC is unsafe. It's really, yeah. you know, VBAC is vaginal birth after cesarean to those who don't know. Um, so, you know, I'm fully in support of people trying for their VBACs and attempting them. And that is the guidance, you know, that's what's suggested is is the safest um, route. So, you know, we were following guidance. Um, yeah. But um, we were just unlucky, you know, it's a really small percentage and and we were we were in that percentage and there's various different risk factors the fact that he was a bigger baby and um, the length of the labor um, because I had a long a second stage of labor um, those are you know can potentially add a little bit of risk um, to it but still I mean very small percentages so um, yeah when we went in they did try to do the ultrasound um, they couldn't get the machine um, but on the CTG they couldn't um, pick up his heartbeat um, I wasn't aware of that at the time. I had my heart rate read and um, they said something like whatever the number was. And I was like, oh, good. OK, so someone said, oh, that's that's what we like to hear. I thought they were talking about baby. Mm. The time I didn't know he was Elvis. We didn't know it was a boy. But that was going to be a surprise to sex. Um, so I thought they were talking about him, not me. So I'm yeah. like, oh, OK, reassured he's 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 fine. He's still here. Um, but actually at that point there wasn't his 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 heartbeat had stopped. So he'd already passed at that point. Um and the registrar said to he said to us, but I didn't hear it or I didn't register it, but he said, There's no baby here. Um and it was a bit of a language barrier as well. Um, you know, I think kind of like the way he described it, maybe I don't I just I just the way that you said it I mean if he just said your baby's died that would be different but he said there's no baby here and I didn't get it but my husband yeah. did um but he I think he clocked that I hadn't heard so he was just like everything's gonna be okay baby it's fine you know just relax um and I had to go without him into theatre he wasn't allowed to come in at the time um I mean you know even if it wasn't COVID I think just because the emergency he wouldn't have been able to come in anyway um so whisked in I was asked what um 
well I asked them what form of um anesthesia they were going to do and um he said what you know what would you prefer and I was like well I can't I can't sit up right now for you to do a spinal so I think it has to be a general the fact that I was even having this conversation when my uterus was rupturing yeah. is just mad um but again I was just like no I just need to you know be here and be present so that I can make the right decisions um and advocate for myself if, yeah. if I need to um but so they they put me up put me under general anesthetic then and um, so you were put under a general still thinking that that everything was okay was, well I don't I think I knew that I knew that there that there was you know we needed to be hasty and he needed to be delivered I was more than happy to go in for the c-section you know mm. obviously I was always like if there's an emergency you know absolutely was Gus is um, cesarean um an emergency or planned it was an emergency because oh, I'd okay. had um I'd had a failed induction so right. I had pre-labor rupture membranes with Gus so um that's when you're your waters don't go prematurely but they go before labor gotcha. so um their waters went and then I just didn't have contractions so there's a risk of um infection so they mm-hmm. suggest that you be induced within sort of 24 hours of your waters going mm-hmm. um and then a failed induction it was a very long induction quite traumatic I mean I thought that was my traumatic birth experience mm. I mean now saying it was traumatic just seems a bit you know but anyway, it was at the time. It felt traumatic at the time. Um, it's all relative, right? But um, then it felt like it. And uh, yeah, we went in for for the C-section with Gus, um, which was quite calm, actually. It was it was quite a nice experience. I mean, I was very tired and um, I guess I was I was very, it, it, you know, I didn't see him being born. So the drapes weren't lowered. It was because I couldn't plan for it and I didn't know what w- what was really happening. I didn't know how I wanted my C-section. I hadn't planned for a C-section. No. Just, so I hadn't planned for that eventuality either. So um, I felt very removed from Gus's birth and I had um, postnatal depression afterwards and um, really struggled to bond with him because I wasn't able to see him being born. There were points where... I knew he was my baby but because I didn't see him being born it was like well they could have just given me someone else's mm. it seems really weird but the way your brain goes when you've got PND no, is like oh yeah. yeah yeah it goes weird places right um so yeah so I was like when they when they when we were doing the c-section with Elvis there was no question that it needed to be done I was like you know let's just let's go for it um and so yeah went under general so obviously I wasn't aware of anything that was happening at the time and I've only since known what happened um with him because of reading the HSIB report afterwards like in detail so for those uh, on for those in the um who listen to you guys listen to the podcast who have had an impartum stillbirth they'll have been referred to HSIB so if they've been on the NHS or even not on the NHS with private midwives it always goes through to HSIB to do um an investigation so we had that and that was you know then I that was for the first time when I read in detail sort of what happened after I went under general anesthetic so he was delivered um he was non-responsive when he was delivered they tried to resuscitate him and weren't able to obviously I was out I wasn't aware of any of this and it's really sad to think that that was happening and neither of his parents were like Mm. you know there to even though he wasn't there you know like he'd already died but we weren't there to witness it which you wouldn't want to but it's your child you know you kind of anything that happens to your child you want to be there and support them through so yeah that was that was difficult and then um I was taken to intensive care and my 
um, husband was in sort of a room beside the theatre and um, they sort of pushed me through to intensive care and they went past the room that he was in and the door was open and he ran out and was like is my baby okay is she okay Um, and they were like someone will come in and talk to you in a minute but we just need to take her to um intensive care and apparently like my eyes were taped over and I had tubes and everything mm. um because I'd lost three and a half liters of blood so I needed to go and get a blood transfusion and he was like well is she okay is she like you know is she is she alive basically and they were like yeah. well we just we have to we just have to go um we'll let you know we don't know right now we just need to go quickly she's not dead right now but she's not you know She's not good, basically. Yeah. Um. So he was, I think, at that point, worried more worried maybe about me at the time because he, you know, he'd just seen me going and being whisked off to ICU. Um. And then uh, the pediatrician came in and told him that um, Elvis had died; that he hadn't survived. Um. And so my husband had like I don't know, like two hours of time where, you know, they asked, "Do you want to? Do you want to see him?" Um, which of course he said yes um you know he wanted to hold him um but he didn't have anybody there to support him there were no family there and um, you know there were the hospital staff but you know I think even to the point where I guess he didn't even really know how to hold him you know yeah. like you're not told how what you should do when your baby's dead you know um no and I think so, yeah, we've spoken just, to people who yeah. have been through stillbirth and and they all say the same thing, like, you're like, what the hell? What What do we do? What, yeah. what are we meant to do? And I think the hospital staff are increasingly better at guiding people through and, you know, talking them through what options there are for, you know, taking pictures and handprints and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, but like what, what I mean is people don't, don't know what to what to do in that in that situation unless they've been through it before and very 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 rarely has anyone ever been through that before and it's all real precious time it's there's such a limited amount of time with that baby and so you want to do as much as you can and you don't want to have any regrets for not doing things um and for him to go through that on his own must have been really really difficult equally I guess at that point you're not thinking about oh my gosh, I'm going to have such little time with this baby. So you don't, sorry. So you can't like decide what to do. It's such an unnatural, it's such an unnatural thing to go through that you don't have any natural reflexes because they've been ripped from you because like, what do you do? Yeah, it's, you know, it's so, you always hear about that kind of like rush of oxytocin that you get. um, And it's so... It's, it's just the most I can't think yeah it's the most unnatural experience that you have to live through because you you are you're looking at this baby and you're so in love with them mm. you know it's your child but but they're lifeless and they're so still and perfect but um you're so acutely aware that they are you know I think that there's so much a part of you that just you just want a miracle you just expect that maybe just maybe by chance they're going to start breathing or they'll cry you know so like the whole time you're spending time with them that's all you want and you know it's not going to happen but you just wish for it to be to you know to be possible but um of course yeah so he had that time alone with him so 
I think it was about two hours. And that's when he sort of called. I think it was quite difficult for him. You know, I think he felt he felt he felt uncomfortable. He yeah. felt, you know, it was so alien to him, of course. Um, and he didn't have anybody that he knew or loved around him to hold him or, you know, just give him emotional support at the time. So it was just calling people and talking on the phone. Okay. I was gonna ask did. that question. Like, did other people find out? that he died before you all my family and friends knew yeah. before me yeah yeah I, I guess they so, had to for him to be able to get that yeah to get course. that support oh gosh but it seems I would strange, never I would never it? ask mm. yeah I would never ask that he didn't and it's funny I I thought about it as you said there was a months after he died I thought to myself I was like wow like everyone mm. knew before me and it was actually it was my friend that said to me she was like I just remember she was like I remember getting the the text and thinking to myself, God, we all know. And Tony's going to wake up and find out that, you know, her baby's died. And like, what? How can you, how is, how is she going to live through it? You know? Mm. And even my husband said, you know, there's times where we talk about it now. And he's like, he really did. There was, there were moments where he was holding Elvis and he was like, it might be better that Tony doesn't wake up you know that she does die because how is she going to be able to live through this you know I don't want the person I love the most in the world to experience what I'm feeling right now Mm -hmm. if she could just never be aware of it maybe that might be better you know um I mean that is just that pain is so like visceral isn't it it's so like look at me I'm so able to connect with your pain because I can see it and I can hear it and it is that, how the fuck do people survive this? How do people go on? And like, if you had, if there is a woman or a couple listening now who've had that experience really, really recently, and they're thinking, I don't know how we're going to live through this. Like, what would you say to them right now? I mean, it's not like it's not there's not a you have to or you know I even I hate using the word strength because it is the lack of options you know Mm. it's either that or or it's not you know there there are you know you can say actually I don't don't want to do this um I would hope that you've got the right support that if you feel that you can reach out to someone because it because there are times that it feels like that you know I'm for anybody that sort of follows me, they'll, you'll see that I do, I embrace grief now, you know, mm. um, because I see it as my love for Elvis. But at the time, yeah. you know, it's so, when I was first told, when I was first told, I was woken up and said, you know, they said, um, hey, I'm so sorry, he's died. Um, I remember Bernardo walking in and just being like, I'm so I'm so sorry I'm so sorry you know like I couldn't I couldn't bring him here my body killed him you know that's why he died because because my body ruptured it couldn't keep him safe um and so I think it's almost what's worse is seeing is yes living through it yourself but you a lot of the time you kind of go through this period of time where you disassociate you know you almost kind of go a bit numb but watching the person you love the most in the world go through it is is so difficult and trying to support each other through that is probably the hardest thing but honestly if I didn't have Gus you know I don't know 
how able I would have been to say I want to you know I want to continue I want to you know continue life without Elvis I don't know how much I would have um felt the drive to do it but because of Gus I was like well you know he can't lose his parents Mm. um and my husband always you know he, he sort of said quite from quite early on after Elvis died he um I was going through a particularly sort of bad patch and he was like you know we need to remember before we conceived Elvis we were a really happy family you know like we had all the conditions to make us happy and we were so happy and we wanted to add more to our life and bring Elvis in but without before we knew about him we were really happy um and he was like we still have all those things that we had but we do have our loss as well and it's just Mm. it's 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 another it's baggage that we will carry it's pain that we will have to live through but we can't forget that we were those happy people before and we still are those people now just with a lot more weight yeah and so we need to learn to carry the weight so that Gus still has his parents still has the same parents that he had and he doesn't lose out on the life that he deserves because you know we weren't able to support ourselves through this um and also you know I if someone would ask me um if I could go back and not have had Elvis um I I wouldn't not have had him because what he's you know he's brought so every child brings so much to your life and he's brought so much even with him dying I would still go through it again to have him a part of our life because he's my child you know and I wouldn't I wouldn't go back and change having him obviously I would love to go back and change him dying and and still have him here but that's not possible but I wouldn't I wouldn't go back and not have had him because yeah he's brought so much and even the short time that he was here you know it was um he had a really you know he had a really quality time you know if you measure life by its quality and not by its quantity Elvis's life was really full you know yeah yeah I'm so sorry that you that you had to go through that yeah you know you too Tony I wanted to ask you about how did you do it how did you then go and do it again how did you how did you manage the anxiety well interestingly because of your hormones and not having a baby I mean you guys will know this too I mean I'm sure most people um that are listening will understand this feeling not everyone has it but most do that quite soon after because of your hormones you would I mean I was like ready to have a baby two weeks after Elvis died I was like I just need a baby I mean I want him but I also want a baby mm-hmm. you know it was really it was weird it was like it's not like I wanted a replacement or anything and you know obviously you guys know that you know the subsequent children aren't replacements anyway but I just really my body was craving a baby I really needed it and I, I, so much so that I could have stolen a baby like I remember saying to my midwife I was like I'm having like weird thoughts like if someone was to turn around in the supermarket and look away for long enough I'd just steal their baby like it's crazy it's really I was like probably need to lock me up um, <laughs> because I'm gonna do something stupid um 
no, I wasn't out of the house enough by myself for anything like that to happen. But, you know, it was a really, really strong urge. Um, and I was like, to my husband, I was like, we need to try straight away. Um, and he was, as ever, the voice of reason. And he was like, no, this, you know, we need to give ourselves time. Um, so we had preconception counselling appointments. I mean, it was all quite early on after Elvis um died we we went in to see the consultant that did the repair to my uterus because we had seen him after Elvis died but obviously it was more to talk about um uh the post-mortem um and you know kind of what happened with my uterus and what he did and that kind of thing rather than talking about subsequent you know it just wouldn't have been um appropriate to talk about it then I think for either you know him or us to to start discussing it at that point um Although he did say to us, he was like, you know, just so you're aware, you know, sometimes we do have to do hysterectomies when this happens. But I was able to um, repair your uterus and and it's in a condition of, you know, maybe someone that's had three C-sections, but no worse than that, basically. So um, your chances for conceiving and having a pregnancy in the future are, are, are positive basically but that was all that was said it was no more than that so mm. we had some preconception counseling um probably about six months after he died um and that was just to discuss again because I couldn't even remember that conversation you know just to discuss whether it was possible um I think we pretty much kind of decided that we probably wouldn't want to go through another pregnancy and that we would want we would like to adopt um and we sort of looked down that route, but also at the time, um, you know, when you start looking into adoption, I think you get into your mind that you need to be the perfect people. Mm-hmm. And we were very deep in grief. Um, and I think that actually it probably would have been irresponsible um, at that time to um, adopt because we weren't in the right place yeah. in our heads to um, take on somebody that would need that kind of support. Um and you know it's a human's life it's not you know just um like something that you can give back if you're like oh this doesn't feel right so um so we we kind of played with toyed with the option of then having another once we were told that um it would be safe to do so um and there wasn't really a moment where we really started trying or um you know anything in particular I think I thought that it would be much harder and actually I think that um our consultant did too because of the trauma um that my body went through that it would take a little bit longer to get pregnant just because of you know you, you know the memory your body's like mm, you know they say that trauma stays in the body you know and um the body remembers um but yeah it, it happened um we got pregnant basically almost a year just actually we found out we were pregnant just after um Elvis's first birthday okay um so yeah it was just over a year after he died so um did you feel excited when you found yeah I did I did um I think you feel excitement and you feel a bit it's it's everything you know Mm. you feel all the emotions so that's that's the best way to describe it I always describe pregnancy after loss as that it's just a constant balance of emotions all like conflicting emotions all Mm. at the same time it's just that just is what it is I mean it's what you live through and I think when I was saying before about when I was teaching sort of pregnancy after loss I remember 
not toxic positivity but being very much like you know focus on the positive Mm -hmm. today all is well and I still do that but it is more about accepting that the worst can happen um and it still can happen you know unfortunately um and no amount of somebody telling you what's going to be it's okay it's going to be okay it's going to be okay it's going to fix that you kind of just need to lean into the anxiety and go okay this is here and it's valid and I feel this because of the trauma that I've lived through and this is my body's normal response to living through what I've lived through um so when you start to accept it as that um you can make space for it and make acceptance and allow yourself to feel it because it's bloody well normal you know Mm. you've lived through big tragedy someone said to us on one of our podcasts this is a it's a normal a normal response to an abnormal situation and I think that's so true in this case isn't it it's 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 absolutely normal and I think we push Mm. we tend to as humans right like understandably we push away all what we perceive to be negative emotion because we don't it's uncomfortable to feel and we haven't been kind of brought up to accept that we're going to feel that you know lots of people think that we have a right to feel happy all the time and and content all the time and if we're not if we're not feeling that way there must be something wrong we need to fix things we need to change things but actually if we had a lot more acceptance over the fact that we're not going to ever feel one thing all the time it would be easier to manage and easier to see our emotions and recognize them and and almost and almost label them and 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 identify them and go okay you're here because of this Mm -hmm. that's okay yeah tomorrow I'll feel differently you know we'll move on from this we'll work with this instead of working against it yeah and one of the things you're you're fine you are yeah and one of the things I teach is sitting with difficulty because actually it's that's the best way to, you know, you could, I, I teach things like how to deal with triggers. That's important, right? So there are times that you don't want feelings to be coming up. You know, if you've got an important meeting, um, you're just going to go in and see your boss and grief, grief rears its ugly head at, you know, times that you really don't need it to, right? You know, it will always sort of pop up like, oh, hey, you're like, <laughs> Oh, no, not right now. Um, so, you know, there it is important to have tools and techniques to deal with things that are triggering you and um use relaxation techniques or tapping techniques or whatever it is whatever sort of trauma therapies that you use to help you through it um but while it's important to be able to get through those moments and and push it down when you need to you also need to allow it to rise at times. So, you know, as I said, one of the things I do is sitting with difficulty because you need to make space for it. Otherwise, all it's going to just like I say, you know, it's like this ball pushing a beach ball down. If you keep submerging it in the water, the pressure is going to build up and eventually it's going to come up when you least expect it, right? And when you're not prepared for it, it's just going to bubble over. Whereas if you kind of, you bring it to the top yourself when you feel like you're ready for it and you just then push it along the water with you it kind of bobs beside you but it's never all consuming that it takes over it's just sort of there and it walks alongside you rather than than taking over so really making space and sitting with difficulty is you know it's it isn't comfortable but the more that you do it the more familiar it becomes and actually you know you start to accept that yeah okay I've got I've got a place for you and you know what the thing is is that baby deserves you know our children that we don't have here they deserve to feel missed they deserve to have our sadness because you know you know it's part of the love that we have for them it's part of what's the legacy that's left behind you know um 
while I don't want I don't want Elvis to be um I don't want you know everything that I relate to Elvis to be his death you know I don't I don't want to when I think about him to always think about his death and I don't you know like I said I see points in in my pregnancy with him as his life and I look back fondly on those but equally you know there's a big trauma associated with his death and if I don't sit with it and think of the sadness and think about the secondary loss and not having him here and all of those things that come with the death of your child um you know it's I'm the one that has to carry on living you know so I need to find a way to um make space for it and and get through it and um yeah I guess you'll learn to live with it but it's never gonna it's never gonna go grief will always be there and you know I say I said it all the time grief is love so for as long as I love him, I will grieve him. Mm-hmm. That's never going to stop. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, Such a lovely yeah. way of, of of putting it. It's a really nice, I think that we've done a few posts on the fact that grief is love sort of repackaged. Yeah. Um. It's, yeah, love comes first, right? Exactly. Well, thank you so, so much for coming and sharing, sharing your story um it's so moving and so we're so pleased to to see how you've grown you know from it and I think that your story uh, will inspire others to kind of try and look for other things you know reframe sit with difficulty accept grief all that stuff I think it's a, such a an important part of of life and if people can learn just to even just to look for that it will it will be really helpful to them and the fact that you're helping yeah. so many other people in the work that you do, um, yeah, it's it's like a real legacy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's that's that's Elvis's. You know, that's what he's left behind. And you know, it's I make it my mission now, and that's how I continue my mothering yeah. bond with him. You know, it's hard to mother a child that isn't here. Very easy to know how to do it with the ones that we have mm. in our arms, but when they're not here, how do you mother them? And um, I think everybody ends up finding their way for you guys it's this isn't it you know Mm -hmm. this is how you do it this is the this is how your relationship and your bond continues um and this you know that's just my continuing bond yeah wonderful wonderful Wonderful. thank you so so much and um yeah keep in touch i will thanks for having me anytime anytime all right take care thank you all the best Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us, and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.